0: Friday Night
1: Racing on Off the Ball. And they're
0: off. Brought to you by Go Racing. Plan your day at the races at goracing.ie.
1: All right, a very good afternoon to you if you're watching us live as we are every Friday afternoon, right, broadcasting across all of our social channels. That's youtube.com forward slash off the ball. The best place to get us nowadays is actually on our sh- uh, shiny new website, offtheball.com. You just hit the uh, watch when we have anything going live. And it pops up in a nice window for you and the stream never breaks and it's absolutely perfect. Or, of course, you can always get us on Facebook or Twitter as well. Our special guest for Friday Night Racing this week is Andrew McNair. You're very welcome. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm very well. I'm sorry for um, inflicting uh, Johnny Ward in your car trip to Dundalk. Johnny was like, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it in this Friday. I have a runner in Dundalk. And then it just turns
2: out that you also have a runner in Dundalk. also have a runner, so very lucky for Johnny that I drive. Serendipity. Yes. I'm absolutely delighted. Yeah, I had a lift home sorted but the train times were, were not very favourable and they're starting off early enough to at the moment, like five o'clock, so I was going to miss three races anyway. Do you not drive as like an environmental thing or is it just uh, couldn't be arsed? No, um, it's a bit of both but mainly the latter. Um, it's yeah. not that actually. It's economical. Uh, have... <laughs> no, uh, so when I was living in the country I used to drive my father's car on the provisional licence, moved to Dublin, didn't need a car. And then I was going out with a girl and her parents kind of gave her a car and she said, you're learning to drive now. So I went and did a driving lesson and the guy who gave me the driving lesson had um, a quite profound wig, which made me... It was very hard to concentrate because it was really, 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 really. Where's obviously. the story going? <laughs> but uh, I was like, anyway, um, oh, the uh, grand, and it was the first time I'd ever driven in the city. But I thought it was fine. Now I was clutching a lot, which was, would have been the anyway. Yeah. But he says, uh, have you? Have you have you, you obviously have your driver driver's license. I said no, I don't have a driver's license. That's why I'm lessons well you need a driver's license to actually do lessons so i just give up I you need a provisional to, to do lessons yeah so i think i've exhausted my provisionals from back when i was younger i think oh, i had three okay, provisionals. Yeah, yeah. so then uh, i broke up with the girl and the car was gone she was gone and i'm still not driving but i do care about the environment you know so <laughs> i don't actually i I'm, I'm happy that i don't drive in the sense that i i think climate change is going to screw us all over yes and, even in, in racing now, it's the most important thing about racing in that it's screwed over this season for everyone, um, and climate change is ridiculous. And I think, like I was at Holt last Sunday and it was maybe 12 degrees. In, yeah, it was uh, weird. It's ridiculous, people were walking in mm. t-shirts, Yeah. and the bees were in, seen in Dublin in late December, yeah. and they're on about watering now potentially for Leopardstown at the Dublin Racing Festival, which to me is utterly insane. So last year we had the bees from the east, we had a drought, we had a prolonged heat wave, and we had no rain at all really in winter or no cold two snows, weather. Two snows, two yeah. snows. And that wasn't long after a, an extreme storm in late twenty seventeen. I think we're screwed and ultimately it'll be poor people who suffer most in other countries. There you go. Welcome to the show. This is what it's always like. <laughs> it's true. I thought though. This is a sports show, <laughs> no? at least we go to the dock tonight, it's all weather, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. But like it must be must be deeply frustrating for jump strainers, you know.
0: Um yeah, well I suppose I'm starting out the uh better and more expensive national hunt horses are winter horses. Um, so because it's maybe a cheaper market, I've probably invested more in summer horses, so...
2: You're suited by I, it, actually.
0: At the moment, I'm yeah. not sitting there with a load of horses waiting to run, they can't go on We run on Sunday, who does want to cut in the ground, it might bother him, but in general, you know, I'm not sitting like Gordon Elliott and William Mullins with these horses that are, their owners have spent fortunes on and they're, you know, riding out every day of the week, but the ground is too quick for them to run.
2: Did you so see, like, the race with, say, an ace on Sunday, battle over dying, like, watching that race. It's great being able to watch racing in HD now at home and it does actually, it does help um, in terms of watching. I didn't think he looked at all at home on the ground and this was in ja- mid-January and I'd say he was only getting away with it and Jack Kennedy said after and that's a horse is worth so much money and this probably, this is a Grade one but I'd say connections were like weighing up whether they'd even run it like because it's quick ground, it's, it's pretty much summer ground like. Can I just ask on that right, so they
1: wouldn't run because it doesn't suit him or they wouldn't run because he might get injured? He might get injured. The risk yeah. of
0: injury, yeah. Right. They're probably, they're not overly worried if he gets beaten they're never going to sell him again his value uh, monetary value doesn't matter that much to them and the experience will stand him in good stead but yeah they'd be afraid he, he he would be a very very big horse i don't know exactly what height but he's probably well over 17 hands he's big he'd weigh a lot and when he's hitting quicker ground he
1: could do an injury to himself okay, bigger so that, they are the harder they fall as that, well that, like so literally that's exactly what it is they've looked and they would know
2: him from maybe him coming off uh, hard ground in the past and and it's not even that. It's just where he gallops at home and everything about him like um his tell. his previous form. okay he'd run in a maiden hurdle I was there, I think it was at punchestown um again th- th- there wasn't much pressure on him then because it was like Nothing, was it? no um he'd sorry he'd won a bumper at Punchestown, then he won his maiden hurdle at Navan, but they were sort of you know they were easy going races now he's put into a grade one and they're they're jumping quick, and everything's going that bit faster and you could tell that he was sort of all at sea like in terms of being a chaser for one thing but also probably just wanting softer ground because he's so big Yeah, and um, he won but um, I'd say they've slight reservations about I think they're I think they're happy that Cheltenham will probably be softer in March than Nace was in January and that's just uh, events is the ridiculous year we've had ridiculous like it's, it's possible it... the whole year will go by the whole season will go by in National Hunt Racing without any proper winter ground the whole season in Ireland is
1: it is this something that will change the strategy of the big buyers? Like you know, you look at this and think three, five, seven years. The pace of uh, climate change is, is escalating so quickly that actually you are better off buying summer horses now and running them in winter. Um, I don't know if
0: you know. We, we don't know how much of this winter is um, climate change related, and it's highly unlikely that next year it's going to be as dry as it was this year or the year after. So I think this year is a bit of a freak year. Um been a lot of freak years recently. Is the, That's only the thing. problem. That's, that is yeah, the problem. La- Last year was a very, very wet yeah. year. Uh, it, it's climate change, it's not climate drying. If, you know, if it is happening at this okay, extraordinary so, rate, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have drier and drier winters. So I don't think anybody's going to say, geez, this winter was very dry, we'll never again buy heavy uh, ground horses. Heavy ground horses. Yeah,
1: okay. What's your, your, um, you both have runners in Dundalks tonight. Mm.
2: Yeah, what's yours like? Mulzam. he's running in the... First Division of the Apprentice Handicap, uh, which is half seven, I i couldn't see him beaten if he were drawn lower, and that sounds like a cop-out, but it's an apprentice race, he's drawn 12, and as Andy will explain, a lot can go wrong if you're trying to get to the front from a high draw, even at Dundalk, and he's been drawn 12 or higher for his last three races, which is very, very unfortunate, and he's also in the tougher division, um, but... He's banged there. He just needs things to go a little bit right in the early stages. If he do, if he gets a freebie up front, I can not see him beating. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. What trippy? Seven. Yeah, seven's a
0: bit tricky. You've you've less time in Dundalk before the bend over seven, so it does make it a bit harder with a bad
2: draw. So you you kind of need to get you need to cut in basically to run the shortest race. Yeah. Exactly, and just to get to the front because that suits him. But. With all due respect to the apprentices, it's probably a bit more likely that one of them will go off a bit harder because they're inexperienced they're getting to know Dundalk, um, which, so that's the problem. I don't, I don't know how that's going to pan out.
1: Okay, and when you have horses in places like Dundalk, is that, um, is that just to run them? Or what, 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 what part of the season are you thinking, okay, I need to get a run here? How do you pick deciding that this horse is going to go tonight in Dundalk, for example? Um, so, uh, just starting out in training, so we've different horses for different
0: things. So... um. The horse we have tonight is a flatbred horse, so probably have slightly more jumpers than flat horses, but we do have flat horses as well. And this horse uh, will hopefully be sold, so Dundocks probably as good a place as any, well, it's not as good a place as the Corridor to go and run well and get one sold, but um, he's at a time when it suits him to run. He's prob- he probably would be more suited to racing on grass, but this will be a good opportunity if he goes and shows himself well, we might get him showed it. And also,
2: he's drawn in right. 13, Okay, 13, Which, 13, 13 14, over sorry. a mile is isn't as big of an issue but his first time out and funny his, his sire Casamento I remember he was very very popular initially because he was by Shammardale, Shammardale was going great and uh, then he went completely out of favour more or less mm. i think he went up to i think he went to denmark or something like that someplace in northern and, europe anyway, and I'm often sure. as happens then like actually quite good horses, didn't did come along the line i think princess Yeza, gavin cromwell's group two winner is by him and um he seems to get horses that stay well but you obviously think he has a bit of ability anyway
0: um yeah casamento i think he's back in ireland
2: actually is to, he back to, in ireland to stand as a jump horse I believe. yeah um which, which you wouldn't expect like you know a Shamerdal but well, he won the race in post or he won he was, a, I think, he won the race in post. Alford had him. yeah.
0: <coughs> and yeah, this one, he's a good pedigree. This horse, he's a Moidler pedigree, and there's a bit of dual purpose in there, but plenty of black type in there. And he's a lovely horse. He is a type of horse that mightn't be very sharp out of the stalls, which is a worry when you're drawing thirteen yeah. as well. So it could, the whole thing could be gone up and smoke at the start. But he, I think he's a very good horse, so right. I would be hoping he's he's twenty five or thirty three to one there, if anyone wants to take a few. if way. you
1: want to go, uh, go looking yeah, for him. Uh, yeah, wouldn't be putting anybody off at that kind of price, All you'd right, be definitely okay. value um, That part of the the sport where you try and use your skill as a trainer for yourself to kind of see the whole process through, it's the highest risk, obviously, but it's obviously the highest reward. It must be the most fulfilling part when it works. What do you where mean you, by that? You, you get a horse, you buy it, you train it, and you sell it, and you're like, that's exactly, that's the business now. And it's when you see it come to fruition, it's for yourself as opposed to just training for somebody else, I suppose. Yeah, there would be huge satisfaction
0: in that, but really, the uh, I suppose I'd get a kick out of training a winner for somebody else as much as I would for myself, but um, uh, I suppose it, it's a more of a financial thing when you're buying a horse to yeah. train it and sell it on. You know, you do the business needs to make money to keep going, and um, this fella, hopefully, he he's one that has plenty of ability and could be sold to make a few quid and pay pay for a few others that didn't get that far.
1: Did that side of the business come naturally enough to you? I mean obviously you you grew up steeped in racing and had a storied career as a jockey which we'll get to in a couple of minutes time but um, it's not just being a sportsman when you're a trainer, you're a businessman and a lot of people I suspect want to do one side of these two things like run the business and make sure that's okay and have to do the training getting that balance right is tricky. Which part of it do you like the most or is it is it okay?
0: Oh, I, I think everybody in racing prefers the horses to the sitting inside in the office and paying wages and sending out invoices and things like that. Yeah, uh, but both have to be done. Hopefully it'll get big enough where we'll get a secretary to do all that work for us. But, um, yeah, and then there's obviously the, the business side of it, in buying and selling horses. I do, yeah, I do enjoy that as well. Um, we I probably always would have been doing a bit of that while I was riding. Okay. Uh, not not on a big
1: scale, but would have had a horse here and there and With the intention of becoming a trainer and seeing how that worked or just like it seems like a natural thing to do. I like the look of that horse. I could buy that horse. I can sell that horse on. Um, a, a little bit of both. I suppose more so yeah, it definitely
0: with an eye to becoming a trainer and getting a bit of experience and also I suppose it's a way to make a few quid. Yeah, yeah. You enjoy it, like. I do, yeah, definitely. Uh, like, There's a chance <coughs> involved in understanding the bloodlines and what's going to work, where and when. Um, yeah, there's understanding bloodlines, there's uh, understanding the physicality of horses, and then there's well, a lot of luck as well. Owners. Yeah, uh, and understanding markets as well. So Some people are, where I might fall down a little bit, is uh, uh, understanding the markets of selling a horse. Um, yeah, so that there's... It's, where it's where, like the, where the whole, have you
2: improved in that, or why have you fallen back in that?
0: I suppose that's a, a lack of experience. Um, you know, I might be selling a horse or something, mm. you know, a horse had a bit of form and done something. Whereas there are people who are in the Breeze Up business or in the store business or the pin hooking. It's a selling they, operation. They just understand the market, mm. they know every person that's there to buy a horse, they know how much those people have to spend, they know how much to push them and everything. Where's Whereas.
2: your market now then? Are you looking to sell a good horse to Hong Kong? Um, looking to sell...? If, if, I suppose if you have a horse good enough yeah. to sell, then you look where to sell that it. That horse um, wins first time out tonight, for argument's sake, where would that go? Potentially,
0: he, If he won tonight he could potentially go anywhere. Mm. Uh, I would probably see him as a dual-purpose horse. I think he's, he's a bit of scope about him. There's a bit of jumping in the family and he'd definitely stay a trip. He's a lovely attitude and he settles well. So I think he could make a lovely hurdler down the line. Maybe a three-year-old hurdler in the autumn. Mm. Um, but if he won a mile maiden first time out in the flat, there's yeah. a market for that
2: anywhere in the world. Is the market changing in the sense of where horses are going nowadays is you obviously have Qatari money came in you you'd have a lot of horses maybe that would go to Dubai you have Hong Kong and um, even horses going to America as well it, it probably has changed a bit over the last few years um,
0: again that wouldn't necessarily be my forte but I would say from the flat uh, the world is your oyster basically and um, there's horses going everywhere in the world at every different level they're going to Russia to South Korea to America you know they're going everywhere yeah. and uh, but jump racing it's probably to England, within Ireland. It or it's England.
2: funny how much has changed though because like the, 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 the the horses going to England which was when I was started following racing most of the good horses went to England and that's where the big owners were um, but for whatever reason be it, there are probably a few circumstances but particularly I think prize money is, is pretty poor in Britain and Jiggenstown becoming as big as they were and deciding that all of the, the horses that Michael O'Leary owns, literally every single one will be trained in Ireland. And um, that's made a huge difference to racing over here in that like we're not exporting everything like our footballers like, have been where a lot of the horses stay in here. And uh, it's, it's Jiggenstown, like, JP, I was, I was looking at the stats, J, JP has had, I think, 25 different trainers in Britain this year and about 52 in Ireland, it's, so it's roughly two to one, whereas every Jiggenstown horse has been trained here and um, that has just made it so competitive and that battle over, dying for, battle over dying, for example, he would have been bought for huge money to stay in Ireland. Yeah. yeah, so it makes a big difference. But does that
1: mean that you're automatically tempted towards the flat more than the jumps, even though it seems like the jumps is your first love? Um... Just that the business is so big there like if you if you've two or three <coughs> super horses who are flat superstars like that's the business set for life whereas if you have two or three great jumps it's like great well done where are the next three or four big jumping horses coming from uh,
0: do you mean that the value of the
2: yeah yeah, as well, like.
0: yeah t- to be honest you're talking about the value of superstar flat horses uh i'm not going to go to the sales and buy a superstar flat horse not on... But you might sell one, no? Uh, no, because... Potentially. Well, Small chance. D- down the road maybe when you get into... But to buy those horses, um, they rarely come up for sale and they cost a lot of money. And, fair enough, yeah. yeah. So you can't you know, get
2: on the carousel. <coughs> yes, yes. It's but it's it's, hard, it's harder at, as a jump at, at trainer to compete level. now than, uh, I would argue, than a flat trainer because maiden hurdles are more or less next to unwinnable. Like, Jiggensohn might have five runners in a maiden hurdle, they're all worth a fair bit of money. Whereas on the flat, and you've seen it this year with, with say Jessica Harrington, Ken Condon, um, Patrick Prendergast. Um, there's maybe more of a yeah, spread.
0: Th- this year it was a good spread in the yeah. no, that's catch, yeah. happen, And That's
2: not going to always happen. And
0: the jumping has gone the opposite way. Whereas before uh, Tom, Dick and Harry had the possibility of having a Grade mm. 1 winner. This year there will be very, very few runners in Grade 1s with any realistic chance that aren't trained by... Willie or, uh, about or Gordon. About five or six trainers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then th- things always change. So... The idea is you go and get a decent reputation for yourself and then you end up getting one of those owners. And yeah, happy days. You're the one that everyone's trying to
1: yeah. Yeah. steal well, the horses from. Okay, well, I'm glad that we're getting in on the ground floor with that. Uh, okay, this show is going on the road. Uh, we are going to be previewing the Dublin Racing Festival from the Sugar Club on Thursday, the 24th of January. We'll have an all-star lineup from the world of racing and beyond, including Niall Quinn, Nicky English, Davey Russell, Rachel Blackmore, Patrick Mullins, alongside Kevin Coban, John Duggan, and it says here, Johnny Ward.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on and uh, looking forward to Dublin Racing Festival. It's always one. Yeah, yeah but... Um We're
1: going to be previewing a massive
2: uh, racing weekend, obviously, on the show at
1: that night, uh, which is taking place at Leopardstown Racecourse on the 2nd and 3rd of February. Top jockeys and trainers are going to be competing in 14 races, 8 grade ones, and 1. 1.8 million euros in prize money. This show is an exclusive off-air event, so the only way to enjoy it is to be there on the night. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events now to get your tickets. They are free, but you've got to register, print them off, or have them downloaded onto your smartphone on the night. And remember, this event is for over-18s only. It's all with thanks to the Dublin Racing Festival at Leopardstown Racecourse on September the 2nd and Sunday the 3rd of February. You can get your tickets for the festival now at leopardstown.com. Um, I want to play you this, Andrew, because uh, we were just watching it in the office today. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's beef or salmon coming from the depths of hell, I believe the uh, uh, commentator from the 4x100 would uh, describe it. Have a look at this.
2: As they come down now towards the final fence the listener out in front Beaver for salmon trying hard to cut down the deficit and over the last it's the listener from Beaver for salmon who's still trying to make ground and is closing with every stride as they race inside the last 200 yards it's the listener b for salmon is still cutting down the lead but the listener has got 150 yards to go Beaver for salmon putting in a tremendous late bid the inside and Beef for salmon is going to get up be for funny as improbable as that looked, when, when he said there was 200 yards to go, as you German well know, the when mister. the horse is getting tired in a three-mile chase, 200 yards is a long, long way, it's two football pitches, and thankfully he had, he had <laughs> enough.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was uh, as good a kick as I ever got out of anything on a horse, it probably, if you went back further, it probably looked even more improbable did, yeah. before the turn in. Um,
1: the commentator was basically like... Pfft.
2: Uh, trying uh, hard. How am I going to yeah. feel
1: the next minute of this? Well, you yeah. know, yeah. But uh, what do you have for dinner? Yeah. Beaver
0: Salmon was probably the most intelligent horse I ever came across. Which sounds funny, but they are like humans. You get every type of a horse and every type of uh, intelligence and a, a very nice horse, and you get a asshole and you get everything. But Beaver Salmon was really, really clever, really personal and everything. And he, when we jumped the second last and leftstand, which is a good long way out, you know, I, t- I myself was niggling along and thought this is all over. And the listeners, half a field in front of us. But I could just feel by him he'd the head sideways and he was gripping at the bit and I said this fella doesn't think it's over you know he's still sticking the head down and giving it a go so I might as well go with him and uh, as I rounded the bend I hit him a couple of slaps and he kept picking up and I met um, uh, um, Pat Flynn the trainer about a week or two afterwards and he said to me when you were turning in he said I was up in the stands so I was thinking what a prick that fellow is. Look at him beating the shit out of that old <laughs> horse. It's just like, wouldn't he leave him alone? The race is over. and That's probably what it did look like. You know, that this horse has no chance. But he just kept grinding, kept grinding, kept grinding. And eventually, 100 yards to go, the listener caved in and packed it in. And the listener's a fabulous horse as well. Eh? Yeah. Look, I was lucky enough to ride him afterwards. Oh, right. But uh, yeah, that was a really special day because the listener had beaten us previously. Um, at the Lexus at Christmas. Yeah. And then we came in and Beef or Salmon was, well now there's loads of uh, as we were just talking about, like uh, there's so much quality of horses in Ireland. You go to the Cheltenham Festival, and last year for the first time ever, there were more Irish winners than English winners, and we win Gold Cups and Champion Chases, and these. Whereas that was only kind of around the beginning of it at that time, yeah. And there weren't these superstars, and Beef Salmon was the kind of Irish superstar. Now I was got to ride him at the end of his career. It was Paul Carby and Timmy Murphy before that, but he was a bit of a national hero in racing. Yeah, terms. totally. Yeah. So. When you'd ride him any day, not that day, any other day, there'd be people rushing around to take photos of him and uh, rushing around to pat him and everything. So he was, there was definitely a, an hour horse feel to him. And when he came in after, the reception was
2: absolutely phenomenal. Was we, yeah. need, we need more stories like that. And fortunately, as Andrew's uh, alluding to there, it's become very concentrated in jumps racing. And beef for Salmon his first ever chase run was in a senior grade 2 chase the Clonmel Oil which was utterly mad if you ask any other trainer nearly but Michael Horrigan had faith in him and he won easily under Paul Carberry that day he went to the Gold Cup as a novice he was 92 second favourite against Best Mace and he fell at maybe the 4th he'd never really acted around Cheltenham but he'd an A and B for Salmon that kind of people that resonated a bit yeah. his owner was kind of a, a northern man but quite unassuming and he was trained by Michael Horrigan um, who wouldn't have been a massive trainer wouldn't have had, had, a, had a huge amount firepower and um, he just had that way of racing and re- people really really warmed to him and unfortunately it's it's harder to warm to the horses that have the mega mega owners and the mega mega sables yeah unfortunately i just, just find I that mean, there's like no, denoli and beef or well, no there's no underdog aspect
1: to it no that irish people really love um was there pressure getting on top of a horse that everybody loves like that like is there pressure turning the bend, going okay this you know I've, i'm not you know it's not a disgrace but like you've been well beaten by the listener here this is the listener's going to stroll on here to a 40 length win and you're like oh my god um, no I wouldn't say particularly
0: pressure I suppose uh, when you're riding you're always riding to well to win I suppose is your main objective but you want to please your owner and your trainer so that you get back on the horse the next day um, no I wouldn't say there was necessarily pressure with the likes of beef for salmon he was probably a horse who was past his best when I got on him and still managed to have a couple of days like that he won uh, the race in the north as well, beating more of attrition the same season. So right. that was a great kick as well. Um, but no, he he was a, a thrill to ride. He was actually he was very easy to ride.
2: Yeah. As he was saying as well, he was very popular because we didn't have goal call horses at that time. And best mate was winning all around him. Yeah. And it was great to have an upstart that might take him on. Best mate was totally unstoppable. Your career as um, as a jockey was sensational. Like you had
1: endless success really. Um, I wouldn't have thought that to be honest, anyway. oh, well, I would have enjoyed
0: a bit more somewhere along the But
1: the figures are really good, like, you, you know, <coughs> considering how tall you are, you did quite well now. Yeah, I probably did well for my height, I, I did always struggle with my weight, so I didn't initially... All of the interviews that I watched for this, you were like, yeah, yeah, I was allowed on that horse because they let me go a pound over, and or I wasn't going to do that one because I wasn't going to make the weight, so it was just obviously a constant battle. Uh, yeah, well I was too big
0: for it, to be perfectly honest. So um, I didn't, like, when I left school, I went to college because I thought I was too heavy to be a jockey, and then after a while it wasn't getting much heavier, I said "Oh, look I'll, I'll go and give this a go and luckily it, it worked out very well, I had a great time and I absolutely loved it and you know I ended up leaving realistically because of my weight, I probably was getting a bit worse at riding because physically it was taking a toll on me and I didn't have a good job at the time and probably wasn't riding as well as I had been so yeah you know I stopped riding I think to 32 which is very young for a jump jockey but I probably, looking back on it, I probably should have stopped at 30.
1: The official line was you had a back injury at that time, was that just like a chronic thing that wasn't clearing up, or was that... It was more back pain, I suppose, right. and things. but that would have been a weight issue as well, you know. Yeah.
0: Every day I'd have gone racing, I'd have been losing weight to some extent, uh, so... I What's prob-
1: that lifestyle, that part of the lifestyle like for somebody who is tall and is doing this for the... You know, because you, you know, you're competitive and you want to do it and it's your job at the time, but at the same time, like, you can't have been much crack to be around. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think I'd have left it bother me too much, um,
0: as in, it uh, might have bothered Starving. me, but I, I didn't like to uh, put that on other people. But um, uh, look, it's a lifestyle you get into, looking back on it, you think geez, it's a bit nuts, but when you're in it, it's what you do. So I'd have been going right now places, rushing to find a, a sauna somewhere on the way to the races if there wasn't one at the race course to lose yeah. a few pounds. And uh, you know, I probably spent 10 years, to some extent, dehydrated for the entire 10 years. <laughs> Um, like. But look, it, it doesn't have any ill effects. I mean, I've come out of the it perfectly well, and it was always my dream to be a jockey, so I got to live that.
2: Yeah. Would you not have gone down the amateur route then after? Um, or at, even now, like yeah, now, just so you could do, we could ride the odd bumper horse. You could ride. You, know, uh, you could you could still ride uh, sparingly, like for for we say twelve stone or whatever. No, to be honest, it wouldn't really interest me. Um, mm-hmm. I like now. This is
0: in no disrespect to like there's amateurs there who are absolutely brilliant and like the likes of Derek O'Connor and Jamie Codd are like... JT um, back in the day. And John Thomas and Robbie, the same. Um, I kind of always wanted to give the professionalism a go mm. and um, yeah, so that was always one for me. I think if I'd gone back at this stage, it would be a bit like, you know, okay, the last couple of years I was riding, I wasn't riding too many grade ones and things, but when you had ridden in those and you'd ridden in the Sheltrims and the big races at all these places, to go back riding in... Just the bumper yeah. of a Like the footballer kind of going down the
2: divisions nearly, like just. Yeah, yeah, which didn't interest me. So, yeah. no. Yeah.
1: You had 15 grade ones, <coughs> the 2006 Cheltenham Champion Chase on New Mill, the Irish Gold Cup, which we saw there, the Irish Champion Hurdle on sizing Europe, the Irish Grand National on Blue Sea Cracker. That's a great career. Yeah. It's very much enjoyed it, yeah. Were you 20 when you turned pro then? Because you've done two years of college, or were you early in college? I'd say about 20, yeah. Yeah, which is late enough, right? Like,
0: yeah, it is late enough, yeah. I was riding kind of unsuccessfully as an amateur right. and then uh, when I left people I suppose realised I was taking it a bit more seriously and the, I left at Christmas time I think I, went, I left, walked out of college one day and went home and told my mother I was leaving and she kind of talked me around to going back so I just went in and lived in Castle Troy in Limerick Attended. for another couple of months but <laughs> never actually went to another lecture <laughs> and so then when people kind of realised I was taking it a bit more seriously just overnight it took off I started riding doubles and trebles at the point-to-points every weekend. Right. And then. The end of that season, I turned professional.
1: Must have been a point in your teenage years though where you thought I could do this, and there must also been a point in your teenage years where you are a bit heartbroken and you can't do it full time professionally.
0: Um, yeah, I remember being about fourteen. I was at the races one day. I realised I was already heavier than Norman Williamson, which was a bit. Of,
2: uh, he wasn't even that small. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. So anyway, I yeah, I, I always in my head thought it was too big for it as a kid. Yeah. Um, because of was
1: Well, is that, is that part of the motivation to get you into the sauna then, the fact that like you're told constantly, and you've told yourself that you can't do it, that you're, you're proving yourself wrong and you're proving everybody else wrong, and that, because I, I can't, <clears throat> I don't think any of us who don't do it can understand the commitment that it requires to go without food and without water and to shrivel yourself down, to get on a horse that you know may or may not win, and more often than not, like nine times out of 10 doesn't win, and if you're winning one time out of 10, you're doing great.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think I ever did anything to prove anybody else wrong. Um, you know, I don't have that big a chip on my shoulder. To, um, so yeah, it was always I just wanted to do it, and I yeah. always wanted to see if I could be good enough and how far I could go. So yeah, it was always for
2: me. It's really yeah, like Robbie. Robbie went down the more logical route, which is riding amateur, where you wouldn't be slave and weight wise. Yeah, That's uh, what Robbie, right Robbie's bigger again though. Yeah, he obviously. is. But you, like you were struggling. At what height are you? Like five eleven maybe? And the full six, yeah. Six foot like to be a, a professional to be a professional jockey. I'd, what was McCoy? Like 5'10", maybe? Probably, yeah. For six four being a and jockey, that just does not exist, like, really. There's, there's no of, one out there. Something like McCoy would have been much the same, yeah. It yeah. Been. But you're, you're going A decade being dehydrated and not eating properly, which is mad, because you always think, as there's so much about science and sport now, you have to be in such good shape to perform, but jockeys are almost, like, exactly the opposite in ways where they're wasting just to make weight, and they're clearly not at their optimum condition. Yeah. And I find that that's one of the real anomalies of horse racing is that you have to make the weight and after that you just have to make the weight and how you are after that is kind of almost secondary because I, I can't see how you're at full tilt if you're not eating or... yeah.
0: I'm, I'm or, sure There, there are plenty of days I wouldn't have been I'm sure and yeah. uh, one of the things I'd have noticed is maybe concentration mightn't have been perfect and you'd been a bit weaker in a finish and yeah. hopefully the horse would help you out. Yeah. And so there were days like that. You mentioned Blue Sea Cracker there. Yeah. That was uh, a day I did a particularly lightweight and the Nationals 3-5 and definitely the finish of that race I was gone weak on that, but luckily Do you she, she had a I remember it, but Luckily she had a, a bit in hand that she helped me out. I think I dropped my stick jump in the last
2: and um, and but she, you know, she was able to carry me over the line anyway, luckily. You uh, you've had fifteen grade ones, have you?
0: I think so, yeah.
2: So can you without naming them now, can you remember how many individual horses? Uh I can think I can think of three off the top of my head, but I'm I'm there wouldn't have been many Select like Tranquil Sea would have won two without naming. New
0: mill would have won two High Cloy would have won two, maybe. Yeah. But after and that,
2: they'd all be ones. I'll be for Simon one two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, like fifteen grade ones is a hell of an achievement. Like yeah. jockeys struggle to do that nowadays. Yeah,
1: and uh, you mentioned Robbie uh, there. Um, Robbie's fall must have had a profound effect on your family and and everybody in racing. Really, how did you deal with that? How do you come to terms with something like that when you're in the race that the accident happens? Yeah.
0: Um I, on the day actually, the doctors came to me after the race and they said he was after getting a serious fall and they told me, you know, oh, you don't have to continue riding if you don't want to. <coughs> and which is a bit foolish in hindsight, but I actually said I prefer to keep riding because if I stop, you know, everyone at home will be getting very worried and everything. So I didn't really realise how serious it was yeah. and there wasn't anything you can do anyway if he's gone off to hospital. So I continued riding for the day and I think I had a winner or two and. And so then I went straight to the hospital in Wexford and it was only then I kind of realised how serious the situation was so I, it definitely does have a big effect on everybody and it not consciously but probably to some respect it played some bit of a role in my stopping riding because you know John Thomas my cousin had a similar injury or even worse injury previously and then uh, yeah, so th- I was coming to the end anyway. Probably, maybe hastened my decision a little.
1: Yeah, because we talk so often to um, everybody who comes in who are jockeys uh, or have been jockeys at one point. Go, yeah, I was grand up until I lost my bottle, and it's such a, it's such a clear thing that jockeys talk about. It's a real tangible thing in their minds, and for the rest of us, it doesn't. It's not a. It doesn't exist. Like it's not a. We can't. We can't fill it up. We can't subtract things to it, it either is there or it isn't and it's, it's almost a spiritual thing like I don't understand how you can get back on a horse after something like that happens when you're in the race in it But I guess it's it's the culture is that you're going to get back on that horse for a while anyway um, yeah I don't know how to answer that I suppose
0: bottle is different for everybody in that you either have it or you don't or you somewhere along the way you, something happens and you lose it maybe old age you lose it or old ages in hitting your mid-thirties or something you lose it uh, Yeah, and luckily for me, I never did. Now, I can't say there weren't specific horses I'd have gone out on where you're going, geez, this is a lovely horse, I love this fella. But the next fella, you might be thinking, this is absolutely horrible, I want to get off this straight away. Yeah. But that would have been a very rare case. So, yeah, I never did lose my bottle, even after the two lads got injured. I was still happy to go out and ride in the race. I think what did play on me a little bit was people asking me, how is Robbie? So, while it's very nice for people to be concerned and ask and everything, I would arrive at the races of a Thursday in Clonmel, and by the time I get to the weigh room door, ten people have asked me how's Robbie, and I'd get in and getting changed, and the whole weigh room would be over asking questions about him. And I'd go out to the parade ring, and the trainer I'm riding for is asking me how is he. So it's not something you can that easily. All right, at the time I couldn't exactly just shove to the back of my head and forget about it yeah. because people keep bringing it up. Actually, there was one of the last rides I had I'd say it was definitely towards the end was uh, a horse my dad trained for JP McManus and his racing manager Frank Berry was there in the parade ring and dad wasn't there so like this 20 people had asked me how was Robbie and I went into the parade ring and Frank said well how is he so <laughs> whatever my spiel for the day about how Robbie was he's fine he's in the rehab and he's doing this and whatever uh, i brought this out to Frank and Frank kind of nodded and then he said alright Jay and, and how's the horse? <laughs> <laughs> He'd definitely been meaning the horse the entire time but I, just when he said it I was like oh god like my head is in the wrong place here.
1: Yeah it's fair enough really isn't it? That, that um, The impact of an accident like that again is obviously something that profoundly changes his life but has an impact on the family's life in a way that you probably don't understand when it happens first. Um, <coughs> yeah, I think the uh, doctors, at
0: I don't, can't remember which hospital it was, had said to us about how we will get upset straight away and he said Robbie will deal with it at different times in different ways and things and it was actually amazing how accurate they were that at the time we got extremely upset and he was quite calm about it and then as we were kind of coming around he got very upset and it was actually... Uh, I suppose a lot of people they say it's a bit like a grief or something for the person who gets injured but he definitely went through things differently
1: than what we did. Yeah, which I, it makes perfect sense when you lay it out like that. that
2: he, had, he had to get on with life and he was left there as he was and he had to deal with it every minute of the day I suppose for and then get, get actually accustomed to the fact that it was real. Yeah, I think they say that after
0: a certain amount of you know you kind of even though you know it's not going to change reality hits you at different times. Yeah,
1: you, you always have like some bit of hope that it is going to change and and you, you don't feel any residual anger to the fact that this accident happened to your family and um, I think anyone who gets into racing and riding
0: horses knows that that's a, a I won't say a, a fact of life but it's it's In a risk you accept, danger, yeah. it? yeah, it's a risk you you become a a national hunt jockey knowing there are certain risks and John Thomas always said that, that he said he was held no anger after his accident but he said if it had happened to him walking across the road
1: and someone knocked him down he would have so. Yeah, which again I think is the the type of thing that like you know, I don't know if whoever it is, it might be Ruby that says that uh, this is the only job where an
2: ambulance follows you the whole way around everywhere. And we, two of them,
1: maybe. Yeah, two of them. Your
2: your family's been particularly unfortunate because John Thomas was, I think, was he thirty seven and he was probably near in retirement when he was injured at Cheltenham. So, um, the McNamara family have had a lot of highs in racing, but would have their fair share of um, suffering as well from from what is a great sport, but ultimately a very dangerous one. Yeah,
1: no. Um, let's move on a little bit and talk about some of the uh, the races this weekend. Um, uh, we haven't actually had a winner in a long time.
2: I don't Sorry. know about that, is it? Yeah, You're making me, feel, making me feel bad now. Yeah,
1: our Tote Irish Ninja Jockeys Charity Fund stands stubbornly, it says here, on 1,485 It says here, Euros. who wrote that? Uh, JP, I'd say. Okay. As we head into another weekend of racing, once again, we have a 100 euro bet courtesy of the Tote to try to
2: add to our tally. Johnny, what have you on for this week? Okay, so I'm going with Caravation. Uh, this is not going to be a big price. Uh, probably, hopefully, be six to four, seven to four in the twelve twenty-five. Um, I was at NACE 18th of December. Um, I'm hoping that Andy won't mind if I pick up my phone in Carphone Warehouse that's just been uh, just been fixed, <laughs> but great. it's literally two minutes. Can down you drop the road. in on the girlfriend for a cup of tea as well? Terms and conditions. I knew this phone was was completely banjoed when I was when Caravation lined up. This is the beauty of being racing. It lined up at the start. In Nace and I was going to make the running, and it was like it looked a two-horse race with Caravation as the third in, and I was like Caravation will definitely be in the first three. Now it's gone out in front, and the two favourites relegating barring to Court might pass it, but it should definitely be in the first three. So I went to my phone and I literally couldn't do anything on it. I couldn't, like I start, it started typing stuff that I didn't put in and I was like, right, I'm, this thing is, I'm finished. Um, so I knew I had to get my phone changed, but that's, I'll always remember Caravage for that because I couldn't get the bet on, and of course, it finished in the first three. That was a brilliant run and that should be good enough to win tomorrow's race, especially because the main danger on paper, Great White Shark, uh, Willie Mullen's horses, have just, they're so in and out at the moment. It's, it's, I can't put my finger on it. Some of them are winning, but some of them are running so below par and I, I don't know, is it, is it possible to have a yard out of form where some are winning but some are just like he said, short price fit, horses run abjectly for the last two weeks as well. Yeah, well, I suppose if you have
0: something going through a
2: yard now, I don't know if Willie's does or not. not Neither do that, I, but, yeah,
0: and he may not have. But if there is something like that, if you have a smaller yard, it's probably the whole yard is going to get it in one go. Whereas if you've, Willie has, I'm guessing 200 horses, they're not, every one of them are mm. going to be sick at the same time, so, or maybe some of them won't get sick at all or whatever, so there is a chance There is something small
2: going through the yard and some horses are running below par. Well, Philip Dempsey's are not running at all badly anyway and Caravation 12.25 at Ferry House tomorrow.
1: Yeah, remember you can enjoy the Tote vs. SP best price guarantee on all Irish racing this weekend. Check out the Tote. for more. There's one other story I just wanted to um, bring up. Um, Current trainers John Ox and Patrick Prendergast have joined forces to form a new partnership ahead of the commencement of the new flat turf season at NACE on the 24th of March. Prendergast will not renew his license at the end of February and the new operation will continue with Ox as the name trainer. This is Daryl Cahora's story that came in on the wires a little bit earlier on. Um, Now, so This news emerges just a month after Prendergast collected the flat Achievement of the Year honour at the HRI Awards for his handling of Skitter Scatter. So, is this unusual, or is this like a succession plan?
2: I, 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 This broke maybe an hour ago. I didn't even have time. Not only to, I haven't barely even read the story or to digest it. Andy, Andy probably is in the same boat, but he might understand it better. It to me would possibly imply that Patrick's thinking of getting the yard that John Ox has down the line. John Ox is one of the more senior trainers who's had a very quiet time of it since the stars. But I, I honestly don't know. It's it's very very strange, surprising. Yes, it's actually,
0: now that you mentioned this, it, the very first I've heard of it, it could be a possibility that John Ox would have a, a very good and very big yard, which, since the Aga Khan has left, there probably would be an awful lot of empty stables in there. So, from a practicality point of view... It just makes be sense at that level, yeah. Possibly, I, I'm just trying to guess it.
2: Yeah, I, I hope, I, I, like, racing has, has a kind of a, an aura of, um kind of, maybe, arrogance about it in some ways, particularly in England, where... You, you almost feel as a common person you're slightly divorced from it but John Ox and Patrick Prendergast are two gents like who are at home in any company and they, they make you feel like very much kind of if, if you're in their company you you feel warmly appreciated and uh, you couldn't be too nice for people for something to work out for yeah okay a reminder of course the Friday Night Racing is brought to you by go we might look forward
1: to uh, some of the races this weekend uh, we would like change to one of these so I, excuse me if I've got them in a uh, slightly different order start with Fairy House on Saturday at 10 past two, the Bet-Victor-Dan Moore Memorial Handicap Chase. Um, some fairly recognisable names in this one. Duca de Tai. Is that the correct pronunciation? Yeah. yeah. Kubomania, Kildari, yeah. Blazer, Tycoon Prince, Three Stars, and a few others there.
2: Yeah, Cubomania is owned by a syndicate that includes Ian, Ian Birmingham, who be, would be the St Patrick's Athletic uh, left-back uh, stalwart, uh, possibly even captain at the moment. Uh, and they're getting a great kick out of this horse, because he fell um, in the Drinmore, when he, he may have been in the money, and then he finished second to Tis a Mystery in a big race at Leopardstown over the Christmas. So for, a, I'd say, a relatively cheap horse, I think this is what racing really needs to promote. Like, they're getting days out at Ferry House, Leopardstown, Grade 1, running a hundred grand handicap here and he's going to be third favourite or something like that. Um, having said that, I'm with Bellamy de, Bellamy de Civilla here. Um, he's a horse who probably is much better going right-handed. All his wins are right-handed. He looked to look a little bit right when he was, uh, where did he finish? Fifth behind Cuba Maney actually at Leopardstown. I think he'll reverse that form. I think he's a good chance of reversing that form. Um, is it a race you've ever won? Dan Moore, I don't think so, no. Um, one who would pop out a little bit from either
0: um, is Kildarey, Ted Walsh's horse, who, see, he ridden by Ruby? That's time? very yeah. interesting. So he has been ridden by Michael Stenson, who's a claimer in Ted's and capable rider and has done well on him, but Ruby Walsh is Ruby Walsh and there's possibly a reason why he's thrown the leg over this
2: time. Ruby's ridden, I, I'd say he's literally ridden in two handicap chases since he's come back. Uh, he's ridden in, I think he may have ridden in the Tritown, um, but very, very few, very few, and that's a real statement of intent. That yeah, looks like a pretty good race then. If Bellamy de Silva is at around about twelve to one at the moment. Yeah, so it's big price. Yeah, I think I think it has I think it has a reasonably straight chance. Uh, these are tough races. These competitive handicap chases, but I think going right hand will help. Okay, so the other races on Saturday that we're looking at are in Warwick and Kempton.
1: Uh, we're going to go to Warwick next, so we'll have a look here. It is Birchdale, Tidal Flow, Stony Mountain. Rock Point, Beakstown, Champagne Court and Finn-on-Bond. This is the Ballymore Leamington Novices Hurdle.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting race. Birchdale um, is is going to be favourite here. He's a Jeremy horse that they reckon will be a chaser in time um, and he's basically returning to the course and trip that he won over. Um, Now, JP and Nicky Henderson has they've an unbelievable team of novices um, this season, and Birchdale will be one of them. Um, Champ is another one, and Rath Hill was, or at least he was, until he. At the zeroes there, that means it's the first race of the season for them, or they
1: didn't uh, finish. Birchdale. See then the form six one one zero.
2: Uh, form over the. So the, oh, one, that's, that's their, a weight. That's their stone. age and their weight. So it's a yeah. six-year-old carrying eleven stones. So uh, the okay. so the form. He's basically won a point to point and being as, by as it says at the top. Yeah, being by uh, Jeremy. we we'll. we'll that never happens. Um, we'll fix that in post. Being by Jeremy, he he's, uh, he stays very well considering he's by Jeremy. A lot of the Jeremy horse would be quite would have a fair bit of pace. Now, Tidal Flow, um, interesting enough, he beat Downtown Getaway, who's very well regarded and Henderson horse. Last time out, now I think it was inexperienced that cost uh, Downtown Getaway, but the Henderson yard should have a good idea what's needed to be Tidal Flow, who's very very hardy. Um, I'm going to go with Birchdale, but I wouldn't be backing him at a sharp price. I think it's quite a deep race. And Battle Over dying could well be facing one or two of these uh, in Cheltenham come March. And this will give us a better idea of how good the British horses are, I okay.
0: think. Are you would it th- be a little bit of a worry for you, the, the Henderson horses? They're running a bit like Willie Mullins's. There's the odd one.
2: Yeah, like Rath, Rath- Hill to name, but uh, I suppose, oh, Um yeah, like it's, it's it was that sort of Christmas as well. I don't know if his yard is isn't quite the, f- the kind of, maybe the lopsided form that Willie's are, but it would at a short price. I could see him drifting, but I think, he's, I think they really, really rate the horse. Um, are you sending horses to England at the moment and trying
0: to... We uh, very rarely do. I suppose that the, only, the main reasons Irish trainers go to England are for the worst of races and the best of races. Um, so you'll go to the big festivals and you'll go to the north of England maybe to try and pick up a race with a horse that can't win here. Okay. So potentially down the road we could have a few that aren't getting there uh, here and might go to the north of England, at the moment it doesn't look like we've too much for the likes of Cheltenham, we might have one horse maybe for A entry.
2: (laughs) He mentions the north of England as well, I remember working in Satanta back in the day and we got word that um, there was a trainer, uh, the cabin trainer was going to Musselburgh. Shane Dunham. Shane Dunham was going to Musselburgh with four horses I think and you were riding possibly all of them, how many of them won?
0: At least oh, yeah. the
2: four of them. So we, I remember whatever the word was, was like you know back to me. Ma- and um, geez, you looked, you looked the best jockey of all time that day because the horses were so well and uh, and <laughs> all won. That's a hell of a, Like to go to Mustard four horses for a small yard, and Andy's go over there. for what, was that like? Fifteen years ago now, maybe.
0: Fourteen years I ago. Do you remember yeah, any
2: yeah. of the names? Um,
0: they were actually. Uh, it was the first time I ever rode for Shane Dunhill and
2: uh, how did that happen then that's mad like
0: so there was there's a funny rule <coughs> in England to lose your claim it's more winners than in Ireland and also if you have a claim at the start of a season you're considered a conditional jockey and qualified to ride in the conditional jockeys races for the rest of the year so fair play to Shane Donahue, he copped that i was still qualified i'd said it was conditional but one of them one of ice, the races right. and this was not today sir was his name ice. and he was the best horse and they were going for a gamble on this Shane Copped, I was still qualified to ride in the race, so I went to ride him basically, and the rest of them I don't think were really all that fancied. But the first one won, and then I'd say not today, sir. Was the next one not today, sir? Won by half the track. He was a lovely horse. He won a good few races after, and then there was a horse, an older horse, in a handicapped chase, and uh, he taught me. I won I'd the jump bumper as well, did I Yeah, won the bumper and a filly as well. And what a day! Like I, I never heard of the other three again. Yeah. But not today, sir. Was a good horse. I could not relate nice. to not today, sir. I'd say I probably got an early flight home from Edinburgh. I'd say, and it was as much as I did, but it was uh, good fun,
1: yeah. Yeah, they're, they're the days um, you live for, all right. Uh, Kempton on Saturday is the Unibet Lanzarotti Handicap Hurdle. Um, here we're looking at Cloud Gate, Lord Napier, Darling, Maltai, Du Pretender.
2: Yeah, he's my du-prétende, uh, is my, uh, I doubt he be pronounced like that now, but he is my selection in this race, which is horribly uh, a 15-runner race, which means it's it's not a good betting way, each-way race, but they might some of the bookies might give you four places, but I, this horse looks like he needs to go back right-handed. He ran at Cheltenham the last day, and um, he just hung after travelling well. Um, his form actually ties into the, the Leamington race because a couple of horses in that have run in races uh, that he's run In In fact, he, he beat one of them earlier on in the season. I still think he's a, he's a bit more to offer um, and he would be a tentative enough pick again for the aforementioned Nicky Henderson. So you'd be hoping, Andy's uh, wrong, that the horses might be a little bit in and out, but they do look to be a little bit in and out at the moment.
1: And Andy, do you have to pay attention to how all these horses are shaken out and how all these races are running so that if you do want to send a horse over to England, that you can? kind of decide which one is going to be the right race to enter them in. That's the other thing where that I'm always like, you have a million horses and a million different places they can go, and picking the right one is a massive scale surely.
0: Um, I suppose you can't factor in every horse and, and you know be aware of every horse's form in England as the, the odd possible day you might want to go over. Um, I think more what that might mean in terms of is race placing, so there's probably more of a case of you go through the calendar and you're Entering in horses, uh, try and find the most suitable race for a horse, and then try and be aware of what the competition competition be. might be. Yeah. So really, you c- it's it's very hard to tell often until you enter in a race. Right. So sometimes you might be entering in races and not running, but you just have to pay whatever the entry fee is and take a chance that it might be a weak race. And sometimes you might enter a horse three or four times, and the owner might be given out that you've wasted a few hundred quid in him, but the odd day then you could enter in a a listed race and it might be an ordinary race and you can go on yeah yeah so it'll so all work out for you
1: yeah if you don't have if you haven't bought the ticket you can't get in yeah yeah all right fair enough so on to sunday poichetown yeah uh, so here we are um the 115 is the total event rental novice chase and here there are some that we're interested in that um we've seen a bit a is the favorite at 11 to 4 jets gun digger winter escape blow by blow ben dundee and
2: cubo mania also entered in this yeah, it's very tough this race. Um I at least there are nine runners in it, so you've um you've a reasonable each way of playing the race. Cubomania probably won't run, presuming that he runs um the day before. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of one of the anomalies of racing that no. probably shouldn't be saying this, but if you've a horse run declared two days in a row, you you do have to actually have a legitimate excuse for him not running and Actually, running the day before is not in itself a legitimate excuse to scratch a horse. Yeah. So he somehow has to develop a little bit of tiredness. Tiredness, or what uh, would you very do?
1: easy just? We're stiff. on a
2: HRI sponsored show here now.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
0: the horse pulls out a little bit stiff the next morning. That's enough of a reason not to run him. Uh, it's, it's, probably it's, it's, mo- more of the difficulty is he's declared Saturday and Sunday. If you think Sunday is an easier race, <laughs> it's very hard to pull him out Saturday and then run him on Sunday. He's Again, really... this is a HRI-sponsored yeah. show. But, um... <laughs> Unless he gets lost from transit or something like that.
2: <laughs> but um, very hard to get to. Dindley had a horrible fall uh, the last day at Leopard Sound in the race that Delta Work won. That was obviously a Grade one, and he's very interesting. The, the big race Sunday is a Moscow Flyer. That's at 2.50. And I think this race would be stronger if the ground were softer. So six runners in, it um, doesn't look a grave when you will, be honest. Um, swordsman, who's a full brother to Battle Over Dying, is a tentative pick. And uh, you look at the runners, the winners of this race, Kicking King, Justified, Mikkel Dagenet, uh, Vautour Duvan Min, Get-A-Bird. Wow. Some, wow. some very, very, for grade two, uh, very, very good winners of the race. I don't know if you ever won this race,
1: did you? Uh, maybe actually
2: my very first season riding. It doesn't stop on the points. record here is
1: it what happened felix desi he's gone beyond yeah what happened
2: felix desi was a big talking horse last yeah. year he
1: might still we're all over it
2: yeah i, I ended up backing for the chelton bumper he was way too keen and that's been a problem for him this year now in fairness to him at limerick the last year he went over two and a half and for most of the race it looked like he did enough of a lead on salzaretta to hold on Um but she picked him up it was a brilliant ride by ruby i think he's there's no better man to basically just wait, 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 when other jockeys would panic, and it looked like this horse had too much to do, but ended up winning by three and a half lengths, because he just had to judge, and he probably, I think with Ruby, he doesn't ask the horse if the horse is going to be out of its comfort zone, so whether Ruby thinks he's, he's going to catch the horse in front or not, he's going to keep the horse within its comfort zone for as long as he can.
0: Yeah, well, Ruby B, he's probably the best rider there is on pace, and he's, so there is a thing that, the fastest way to run a race is by doing even, an even pace the whole way. So Ruby is very conscious of that and he doesn't want to quicken up for the three farlings out too much to, you know, not get home. So he, everything with Ruby is even, 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 even. So if he feels that the jockey in front is going a bit too quick, he's quite content just and has enough confidence in himself to just leave them off and let them go and... Yeah, if they are going too quick, they'll pay for that. So
2: that's his strategy. It's it's very simple. It's just the 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 most optimum way to win or to the most optimum way to get your best time in a race is to go an even pace because horses slow down towards the end of races, like because of tiredness. <coughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's all very well good saying that that's a good strategy, but you have to be aware of what the right pace is. Yeah. So you have to and how the good race a, has been run as well. You have to be as good a judge of pace of, as Ruby is to tell they're actually going too fast. So it can look to a bystander like as if you've left somebody off 10 lengths and if they beat you they'll say what were you doing if you left them with a free lead but you know if you have the ability and the confidence to say that person's going too fast I'm going to leave him go. Did you have that as a jockey? um, There would have been times you'd have been in races and you'd have said yeah this is going too fast but probably it depends who you're riding for as well you know they don't like to see that happen. I would say I'd have been guilty a bit of maybe not having enough confidence to do it enough maybe And you might have kind of tagged along, left them off a little bit. There are times you'd have seen Ruby. I remember the Bobby Joe chase there a couple of years ago. uh, A couple of riders took each other on about five out, and Ruby just left them going, left them going, left them going. There's one stage he's sitting nice and happy on the bridle, 15 lengths off them, and the two in front stop, and he just gets them jumping the last and wins well. And, you know, he has that clock and that confidence in himself to do that.
2: That's the thing with Mullzam tonight, like the other jockeys should definitely not take him <laughs> on front because they're going to screw each other over. But, but Felix says I wouldn't give up on this. <laughs> um <coughs> But they don't know But had, I think, they might have had nine entries in this, um, but they have three of the six runners and uh, Swordsman is, is is definitely a horse who's been a bit unheralded um, because he, he was only sixth in his bumper. Then he was second when a faller fell in front of him in a maiden hurdle. But he was very impressive the last day in a good race. and. Uh, it's just a tricky race, I think he's a reasonable chance. My actual nap on, on Sunday, um, which I might have given as kind of the best, but because you're putting me under pressure. As you said, it's been like this for a while, which is a bit of a dig. Stubbornly. Uh, stubbornly sorry, stubbornly. Uh, Citizen Al for the O'Sullivan team in the 350, uh, Eugene and Maxine. Um, Eugene will near Mallow, would it be? Cork direction anyway, and Maxine is, uh, is, Maxine is not riding it, actually. It's Mr. MJM O'Sullivan. So that, that rider, actually, I, I, I read that as Maxine, who will be Eugene's uh, daughter. I think she might be injured at the moment, actually. So um, that's obviously, that must be a brother. Oh, I'm not actually familiar with that jockey, but uh, I think... I think he may have ridden uh, Citizen Al the last day, he did, um, gave it a, a grand ride in Limerick when she was completely unsuited by the trip and she's stepping up two and a half miles and I think she's going be about 10 to 1 in a, in a bang average race. Alright, good stuff. Andy, thanks very much for joining
1: us, best of luck with the rest of the season. Thank and Dundalk in
2: particular. Enjoy your the car Dundalk journey duration. to
1: Dundalk tonight and yeah. the... Uh, um, yeah, Carphone Warehouse. Hit-stop in Carphone Warehouse. <laughs> uh, Friday Night Racing brought to you by girlracing.ie. You can uh, check the rest of it out on YouTube if you missed any of it, uh, youtube.com forward slash... Off the ball, and if you're listening on the radio, we'll be right back after these. Off the ball. And they're off. Brought to
0: you by Go Racing. Plan your day at the races at goracing.ie.